All right. Good morning, Veritas. How are you guys doing? Good, good. My name is Mikey Stewart, and it is a massive honor to be able to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Uh, first thing I want to point out, I'm using a handheld mic. They actually call me Handheld Mikey. Uh, I'm just kidding. Nobody actually calls me that. Ryan called me that this morning. Uh, I just like preaching with a handheld mic, so <laughs> just want to point that out. Uh, Next, uh, like I said, my name is Mikey Stewart. I'm from Urbandale, Iowa, so I love Des Moines. That's where I come from. I have been married for almost a year to the best person I know, Jenny Stewart. Uh, yep, you guys can clap for that. I got to Iowa City uh, after spending two years at University of Northern Iowa. I transferred to the University of Iowa. Um, got an internship with Salt Company, working with freshmen uh, my senior year, and then just ended up sticking with that job afterwards. So I've been working with Salt Company for, this is going into my second year full time. Uh, I work with freshmen, so I'm the freshman ministry leader, I think is my title, I don't know. Uh, but I love working with freshmen because they have the highest energy, they show up to everything, they're the future world changers, and there's always more freshmen coming, right? So if you're focusing on freshmen, your ministry is never going to die because freshmen are always coming, they're always passionate. Um, like I said, they're the future world changers. So I love working with freshmen. Um, I'm currently getting my master's degree in theology, working with the uh, Salt Network School of Theology. So you guys know Jeff Dodge. He's like the creator of that program. He's my professor. So I get to spend a lot of good time with him. Uh, really enjoying that. And let's see, last thing. I host a podcast that we actually, we host it out of the Veritas Kids Wing. But uh, it's a blast. I love doing that. I sit down with some of the uh, key leaders in Veritas, a lot of the staff members. So it's called The Grain of Salt if you want to listen to it. You're a big podcast person. Look that up. Uh, I'm the oldest of five kids, and there were four boys, one girl. One of my brothers, Luke, is actually at a camp right now. He's working at a camp that I went to as a high schooler that I loved going to. Uh, ended up working there for a couple summers. And one of the most influential things that happened to me at that camp was... Uh, I don't know what I was doing, if it was like worship or preaching. Anyways, the point is, I wasn't paying attention when I was supposed to. And I was sitting in the back with my buddy Jake, and the next thing I know, he just turns to me. He's like, wham! He just nails me. I was like, dude, what? He's like, Mike, Jesus is coming back, man. I'm like, yeah, I know. He's like, no, seriously, dude, think about it. He's coming back. And I was like, yeah. He's like, any second he could come back for us to get us. And I was like, Oh, yeah. Right? Like, he hit me. Like, I know that to be true, but in that moment, he, like, woke me up, brought it to my attention that, yes, Jesus could come back at any second. And this morning, I'm praying that the Word of God does the same thing in our hearts, that it just wakes us up to the reality that Jesus Christ could come back at any second. In fact, he could come back before I finish this sentence. He didn't, but he could have. Right? <laughs> We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 24 today. It's the whole chapter. Uh, I got the easy task, my first time preaching at church on the entire return of Christ. So here goes nothing. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to eventually focus on one of the parables at the end that Jesus gives. Um, but I'd love to actually just read the whole chapter, kind of like we did last week. Uh, I believe that everything Jesus says is important. I believe that everything he said was true. Uh, and if you get nothing else out of today, you know, at least we got to read a chapter from the Bible. So uh, if you guys would stand with me, I would really appreciate that. We're going to be reading Matthew chapter 24. 
I'm going to be reading out of CSB because Jeff forced me to. I'm kidding. He didn't actually force me to, but he's really passionate about it. He introduced it to me. I love it. The Christian Standard Bible. Uh, so here we go. I think the word's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but Matthew 24. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. He replied to them, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For at that time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will be again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. But those days will be cut short because of the elect. If anyone tells you then, see, here is the Messiah, or over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you in advance. So if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or see, he's in the storerooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. 
For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This will be the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be left in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master's delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right. How was that? That was a doozy. You guys can take a seat. Thanks for standing with me. As you can see, I was very excited when Jeff's like, dude, you should preach on this whole chapter. I'm like, okay, yeah. A um, couple broad things that I want to address before we dive into kind of the meat of what I want to talk about. There's a lot going on here, uh, a lot of confusing stuff for sure. Jesus is talking to his disciples, so typically, you know, what we've been seeing is he's talking to the Pharisees, the, re- the religious leaders. This situation is a little different. He's talking to just his disciples about extremely important and holy things. Uh, definitely some of the stuff that we just read refers to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD that Jeff kind of talked about last week. Remember that? So there's some stuff in this that's like, yeah, that seems to have already been fulfilled. Uh, I can see where, you know, that happened. But also there's some stuff that seemingly hasn't happened yet. Like, I don't know about you. I can't go through this whole chapter and be like, yes, this has for sure been fulfilled, all of it. Or like, no, a lot of this hasn't been fulfilled. So then that brought me to the question of, could Jesus actually return at any second? Like if he said, these things must take place before I return, the question is, can he, is he actually going to come back at any second or do we need to wait for some more signs? I'm not going to discuss all the different theological positions that you could stake your flag in in this passage because there's a lot of different ones. And honestly, I have no idea. Like the Bible's a mystery, but here's what I do know. Uh, I think that the term this generation, when he's talking about, you know, these things must happen before this generation passes away, I think that that refers to kind of this, like, state of the heart, like a spirit of doubt, uh, this kind of, like, veil of forgetfulness and just kind of neglect of the things that Christ is saying. Um, I don't think that it necessarily meant, like, all these things are going to happen before my 12 disciples pass away. Um, I think that every generation has had uh, reason to believe that the end was coming in their lifetime. Like, every generation has come and gone, and they've been like, you know, the world's messed up. Surely Jesus is coming back. Like, I can't even imagine living in a time where Hitler was reigning, and he's killing millions of people. Surely it was a legitimate thought to think, this is the Antichrist, there's wars and rumors of wars, the end is coming. Or even, you know, some people feel that way about Trump. They're like, Trump is president, he's the Antichrist, the end's coming, whatever. What you see is 
That comes and goes, and Jesus is still, he hasn't returned yet. What I think that does is it's easy to get lulled to sleep and just like passively accept the fact that his delay means he's not actually coming at all. And I, I genuinely think that's one of the biggest mistakes we could fall into in our lives this morning is getting lulled to sleep to think that Jesus actually probably isn't coming. So there's two different ditches you could kind of fall into when it comes to the timing of Jesus' return. Uh, the first one is you could be like, nope, not going to happen. Uh, there's some stuff that still hasn't been fulfilled yet. Uh, the gospel hasn't been proclaimed to all nations. And you're like, no way. Jesus isn't going to come back at any second because there's stuff that need, still needs to take place. I, I feel like this is how we deal with like recessions a lot. We're like, yeah, history comes and goes. We know that the economy comes and goes and a recession is going to come. But there's people who are like, no way. We know it's bound to happen, but not yet. Not in our time. Like the markets aren't showing it yet, right? It's not going to happen because the markets aren't showing it. But then it happens out of nowhere. I'm sure there were Jews uh, in the year 70 AD who felt like the same way about the temple, right? Remember when Jeff was talking about the temple being destroyed? They're like, no, not in our lifetime. This is like the most important thing uh, in the world to us, the temple. And then there came a day where the temple was destroyed, right? They thought, no way, these things can't take place in our lifetime. But it actually did. So I don't want to be in that ditch where I'm like, no way, Jesus couldn't come back. The other ditch would be, to think that everything's been fulfilled, we're just sitting here waiting, uh, you know, there's nothing left for us to do except to wait, because, you know, surely the temple was destroyed, Antichrist have come, but, like I said, I can't read this passage and think that there's not some of this that still has yet to be fulfilled. So, all that to say, that's very confusing. Where am I camping out? Right in the middle of uncertainty. <laughs> like, I have no idea. The Bible's a mystery. I don't fully understand, but what I do know is that the words are true, that the words of Jesus are going to last forever and ever, and no matter where you camp out, everyone can agree Jesus Christ is going to come back. Like, he's going to return. Everybody understands Jesus is going to return. In Matthew 24, what this chapter demands from us, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, what he's saying to us this morning is that we need to be alert. Like, if you hear anything this morning, be alert to the return of Christ. The way we're going to do that is we're going to look at the parable of the faithful servant. It's the last six verses. So if you're taking notes this morning, uh, the title is Five Fruits of Being Alert to the Return of Christ. So we're going to be looking at five fruits of being alert to the return of Christ. So if you're aware, if you're alert of the return of Jesus, that it could come at any second, you're going to see these five things in your life. I'm going to read through the parable one more quick time, starting in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master's delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
So point number one, if you're alert to the return of Christ, point number one, if I'm alert to the return of Christ, I will be faithful. I will be faithful. What we see in this parable is that it is a good thing to be characterized as a faithful servant. This is arguably the biggest and most obvious fruit of somebody who's alert to the return of their master. They persevere in their duties. They persevere in their faith. They never give up. All throughout the Gospels, throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus doesn't demand greatness from his followers. Those who follow him, he's not telling them like, hey, you want to be my follower? Be great. No, he tells them that they need to be faithful. I just did a podcast recently with a guy named Jim Walker. Many of you know him, the general. Um, This dude's brilliant. He's incredible. He's very smart, but arguably... I walked away from doing that podcast and sitting down with him for two hours, and the most encouraging thing to me was his faithfulness, his faithful marriage to his wife, Jolene. He's been, he's been faithful to his wife for a long time, and it, it literally, I was walking away thinking, man, why do, I like, why do I feel the way I do? I think it's like, all throughout Jim's life, he's done all these incredible things, but one of the most foundational things about him, faithful marriage. And I think there's a reason that we get inspired and encouraged when we encounter like an old couple, no offense, Jim, but like an old couple who's been faithful to each other for a long time. Because faithfulness is actually something that your soul longs for. Like whether you realize it or not, you actually want to be faithful to something, specifically to God. Uh, I'm getting, like I said, I'm getting my master's in theology. One of the classes I'm in right now is history of Christianity. I'm really enjoying it. And I read about one of the first Christian martyrs. His name was Polycarp. And he was brought before the judge. He was an old man by this point. And the judge urged him um, pretty forcefully to worship the emperor and curse Christ. And then he would be set free. And Polycarp's response was, For 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? And then he was was burned alive for his faith. The road to faithfulness is arguably never enticing or shiny. It doesn't look enticing at all. But it is always full of glory and reward. Like, I don't know if you notice this, blessings followed this faithful servant. He was faithful and he received rewards. So if you want to be faithful in your life, right, let's get real practical. How do you become a more faithful person so that you're more alert to the return of Christ? Number one, read your Bible every day. Like you actually have the ability by God's grace to read your Bible and and listen to the words of God every day. Get on a Bible plan if you have to. Have somebody hold you accountable. Whatever. Read your Bible. Number two, pray to God. Talk to him. Like I would uh, urge you to get on your knees in just an act of submission and talk to him. Ask him for things because he's a good giver of good gifts. Number three, go to church. If you want to be faithful, you need to be a part of a body of believers, a family. This right here, what we have is a family. It's not just like some gathering we get together for. This is a family that you, if you want to be a faithful person, need to enter into. But most importantly, when you fail, because you will fail, never stop starting. 
I know Mark says, master the restart. I got one better for you. Never stop starting. Right? Write that down in your notes. You're going to fail. You're going to stop. I guarantee it. Just keep starting again. Be determined to be a faithful person and never stop. Point number two. If I'm alert to the return of Christ, I will be responsible. If I'm alert to the return of Christ, I'll be responsible. This is one of the primary indicators of alertness, according to this parable. His master puts this servant, this steward, in charge of work to do in the proper time. So what does this look like? It looks like getting done what needs to get done, when it needs to get done, according to the stewardship God has given you. So it's going to be unique. Uh, all these traits that I'm talking about, all these fruits, they're going to be like general principles, right? Every single person is different. Uh, every believer has different strengths, whatever. So this is going to look different in your life, but it's going to look a certain way in your life. What it doesn't look like is that you never have fun. Like you're always working. Uh, you never take time to do the things you enjoy. I can assure you what Jesus is getting at here is he's not telling you to not have fun. Like the responsible servant can still go to the movies and not be ashamed if Jesus returns at that time. You know what I mean? Like, you can still hang out with your family. You can still work out, uh, do the things you enjoy, whatever. So long as you're still responsible with what God has charged you with. Those words, at the proper time. I think this means that there's time to work hard and there's time to play hard, right? This is like how we run with Salt Company. It's like, work really hard, play really hard. There's a time to read your Bible and study what the Word of God says, but there's also time to go out to eat with your friend and spend some time with them. I think uh, the most encouraging thing about this responsibility that comes with being faithful is that it actually doesn't restrict you, but it makes you more free. Like the responsibilities and kind of the boundaries that God puts in your life are actually good and life-giving. Amen? Like, I know there's people in here who've experienced this. You come to Christ... And you become a Christian, and then you hear, hey, you should stop having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend. That actually, though it's like a restriction, doesn't actually restrict you at all. It's like freedom. Like you get to obey now. And the restrictions Christ put on you, they make you more free. This responsibility to Christ is a good thing. Alert people who are, who are alert to their master's return, they know this to be true. So be responsible. There's work to be done in and around our lives. And let this fuel you, this responsibility, this kind of pressure, fuel you to be more alert that Jesus Christ could return at any second. Point number three. You guys still with me? Point number three. If I'm alert to the return of Christ, I'll be hopeful. If I'm alert to the return of Christ, I will be hopeful. Faithful stewards actually look forward to their master's return. When they think about their master returning, it brings joy, happiness, satisfaction, because they know there's good things coming for them. Like, if, if you're alert, there's one of two things you could think. You could think, oh my goodness, he's coming back. You could be panicked and anxious, and you don't know what to do because he could return at any second. Or... You could have peace about you, and you could be joyful and satisfied for the same reason. Any second, he could return and bring with him 
riches of blessing and reward. If your dad says, hey, son, I'm going to go to the grocery store, and when I come back, we're going to go out and get your favorite meal, we're going to get some ice cream, and we're going to go to that brand new movie you want to see. If you're a kid and you hear this, that is nothing but exciting to you. Like, you look forward to your dad returning because you know what's on the other side. Favorite movie, favorite meal, ice cream, whatever. This is exciting for you. So too for you this morning, Christian. If Jesus comes back this morning, that's a good thing for you. So be of good hope. Because his return brings only the richest glories and pleasures. What awaits on the other side for you is is not punishment, but actually good things. Joy and delight. What this does in our life practically is it diminishes the impact of bad things in our life. I'm I'm not saying... Oh, if you're alert to the return of Christ, you have no more pain in your life. No, I'm not saying that. But I think it actually does diminish some of the pain of this life. It just hurts a little bit less. Like the things that used to rattle you when you were an unbeliever, they don't have to rattle you anymore. You had a bad day at work. Your car broke down. You lost 20 bucks, whatever. Guess what? It doesn't matter. Because unlimited, unending riches next to Jesus Christ, await you on the other side of his return. He's coming to get you. Like, I want you to know, just like my friend, boom, hit me that morning. He's like, dude, he's coming to get you. Realize that this morning and rejoice in all things now because it brings joy. Second thing it does is it makes the good things in this life even better. Like, Spending time with your family, the nice weather outside, that nice couch where you get to watch your favorite TV show on, whatever. These are all gifts you don't deserve that now you get to enjoy while you wait. Alertness to Christ directly affects your hope and your joy and your gratitude in this life. You no longer have to fear his return because it's only good things coming. Point number four. If I'm alert to the return of Christ, I will be generous. Alert people are generous. The next thing we see in this parable is that the servant gives to those around him what was given to him. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What you see in this story is the faithful servant, he's given plenty with the intentions that he would also distribute it to those around him. And it's no different for us today. Like, if you are a person who is blessed financially, you are blessed with your possessions, whatever it may be, chances are it's not for the sole purpose of making your life easier. What God does, what this master does, is he gives plenty to that one servant with the intentions that he would also give it in plenty to those around him. Uh, Randy Alcorn, he wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. I've said this in a sermon to youth group once, and I think on a podcast once, but brilliant illustration. He says, imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but you're a Northerner. You plan to move home as soon as the war is over. While in the South, you've accumulated lots of Confederate currency. Now, suppose you know for a fact that the North's going to win the war, and the end is imminent. What will you do with your Confederate money? If you're smart, 
there's only one answer. You immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have value once the war's over. Keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs. The point he's, he's making here is clear. It's powerful. Imagine if the master were to return and that faithful servant who was given plenty didn't actually give it out to those he was supposed to. He would be in big, big trouble to say the least. <laughs> the master gave a bunch to him so that he would give it to other people. So too for us, alertness creates generosity in our lives. Last point. Point number five. If I'm alert to the return of Christ, I will be evangelistic. If I'm alert to the return of Christ, I will be evangelistic. One of the most common sense things that uh, alert people do with those around them is that they remind them of the return of Christ. This faithful servant, I can assure you, was telling people, like if they started to slack off, he's like, hey man, don't slack off. Remember, the master could return at any second. Like, be diligent, man, because the master is coming back. That's all I'm doing right now. Like, I'm just saying the words of the Bible and hoping to illustrate it in a way that reminds you the servant can come, or the master can come back at any second. Think about if he didn't tell those around him. He just worked hard. He kept to himself. Didn't get to know his friends. Didn't help out those around him. And he didn't warn them that they ought not to slack off. I think he'd be considered the wicked servant, like the latter half of this parable. The reason that a wicked servant wouldn't tell those around them of the master's return is one of two things. One, he either hates his friends. Like if he didn't tell them, it could be because he hated them. Uh, there's a guy named Penn Gillette from the comedy duo Penn and Teller. I don't know. I've never like <laughs> listened to him or anything. But he's a pretty outspoken atheist. Uh, and he has something that he said about this that I heard a long time ago that really convicted me. But take it with a grain of salt because, uh, like I said, he's a pretty outspoken atheist. But what he says is this. I've always said, Gillette explained, I don't respect people who don't proselytize, meaning they don't evangelize. They don't try and persuade people uh, to their faith. He said, I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He illustrates it by saying, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Like I said, take it with a grain of salt. That's pretty harsh. But the point is clear. If you truly believed that, like, let's even use his illustration, that a truck was coming at you full speed, or coming at your friend full speed, and they didn't believe it. You would just tackle them. You would tell them, right? You would do everything you could to remind these, this person. Now, that's, like I said, one of the two reasons. It could be that he hated his friends. I don't think that's why the wicked servant didn't tell. 
I think the other reason why, why he wouldn't tell those around him is because he didn't actually believe that his master was going to return. The wicked servant wasn't telling people because he didn't actually believe. Right there in verse 48, look at the state that he says in it. It's never out loud. He doesn't actually say, my master's delayed. It's in his heart that he says that. It's just like this kind of passive belief that he just came to accept. My master's actually probably not going to come. And what's really scary and convicting about this story is that this wicked servant is still a servant, right? He's not an outsider. He still knows the master. He's still working for the master. What I think Jesus is saying is he's talking to people who are claiming to follow him. If he wouldn't, he wouldn't have called this person a servant. What I know is our hearts are deceitful above all else. So let me plead with you that if you're in the church and you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Christ, but your actions and your heart don't line up with what that means, what I think this parable is telling us is you need to be very, very careful and probably reevaluate your priorities in life. Because what happened to this wicked servant is not pleasant. He's talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth. So don't be arrogant. If you're in the church and you're like, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, don't be arrogant in thinking that he's not going to return. Because I promise you, if Jesus performed the miracles he did, he fulfilled the promises and the prophecies that he did, he died and actually rose from the grave, and then he said, I'm coming back, you can bet on the fact that he's going to come back. Don't be this wicked servant who only knows the master. He's like, yeah, I follow Christ. But in his heart, your heart's like, ah, oh, he's delayed. And he starts to beat his servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. That's just lip service to Christ. There's no action or follow through in this guy's life. And what happens to that servant is not a pleasant ending. But there is good news. There is absolutely very good news. And it's this. Jesus is patient with us. And his delay is not like our delay. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You know what that means to me? It means his delay is actually his grace in our lives. His delay is actually his grace. I know that there's so many in this room who if Jesus would have come back like five years ago, you would have been in big trouble to say the least, right? Like you've experienced this grace by Jesus waiting for his return by you becoming a Christian. His delay is his grace. And today is the day the Lord has made and he wants every single person to be saved. Did you see that verse? He actually wants every person to come to repentance. That is why he hasn't returned yet. Like if you're asking yourself, yeah, man, why, why has Jesus not come back? Doesn't he see how messed up the world is? Yeah, he does. And he's waiting. His delay is 
for your benefit that you might be saved. He's able to be found today, right now. And if you're living your life as, as you, if you're not living your life as you should be, like you feel this, like, oh man, I just, I hate the things that I do. I don't do what I want to do. Let me tell you, you are living in his grace and mercy right now by him not returning. It's actually a good thing for you. So what I tell you is come to Christ. Like, accept Jesus into your heart, repent of your sins, turn away from them, and follow Christ and receive this full forgiveness that he's offering you. I've been praying that this scripture, that these words that Jesus said, would awaken sinners to come to the cross of Christ. That's the purpose of what Jesus is saying. That you would get right with him. Because like I said, he's able to be found today. If you seek him out, you will find him. And we're recipients of his grace by being part of this delay. I promise you, Jesus is coming back. You can count on it because he promised it. So last thing, real quick. The application. There's one of two things you can do. You can come to Christ and come to the, the foot of the cross, repent of your sins, and receive that forgiveness. But the other thing is, we just need to be more alert and aware of his return. I think if we were a more alert church, that would benefit our lives. So how do we do that? The same way you create alertness and awareness of anything else, you study it and you look into it and you tell somebody else about it. Like you learn about it and you talk about it. Like how did some random dude get two million people on Facebook to commit to go storming Area 51. <laughs> I, that's so stupid. That's like the dumbest movement ever. But he got a ton of people aware of this. Like, oh, dude, there's aliens. Let's go get them. He got a bunch of people stoked about it. Why? Because he said some facts and told people about it. As dumb as that is, like, <laughs> the point is still the same. You want to be more aware and alert of the return of Christ in your life? Study it and tell someone. He's full of grace and his delay is actually his grace. You guys believe that this morning? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us your words and part of that being that the reason you haven't returned yet is for our benefit. The reason you haven't returned yet is because you're waiting for some of your children to come to you and to repent of their sins, to actually receive purpose in their life, the fullness of life that you came to this earth to give to us. Lord, we believe that this morning. I pray that there are people here who turn to you for the first time and give their life to you because you're worth following. Lord, your words are true. Like you said, Heaven and earth will pass away. Your words will never pass away. Lord, would the gospel ring true in our lives? Will we tell people? Will we, will we be more alert and aware to your coming, Lord? We want that in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.